0: Thank you, worship team. We move now to focus on God's word together this morning. I'd like to read to you again from Scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to be focusing on the whole chapter here this morning, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter right now. I'm going to encourage you, before you get here on Sunday mornings, to read through these verses that we focus on so that you'll be more and better equipped to engage the Word of God here on Sunday mornings. So maybe you get here a little early, crack your Bible open, and read through the passage that we're going to be looking at together each week, and that will help you out a great deal. I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. When Samuel returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And we'll leave it there, but again, we'll get through the rest of this chapter as we go through it together this morning. Before we get into these verses, I'd like to ask you to Think of maybe your first job that you ever held. What was your very first job that you ever had? Mine was as a, a, a bag boy at R.C. Dix, which is now Oxendales here in West St. Paul. Is anybody familiar with that little grocery store? Just kind of a little mom and pop grocery store. And my first job was to be a bag boy. And as a bag boy, I bagged groceries and carried them out to people's cars. That's what my job was. That was the extent of my responsibilities in that position. But then after that, I went and got a job. I worked for Gary Langula at Langula Hardware Store. And there I swept floors. I assembled lawnmowers. I did some uh, window and screen repair work. And I did all kinds of things. Basically, whatever Gary told me to do is what I did as I worked for him. That was my job description there. Maybe think of your current job description for the job that you have now. Every job has a job description what that job entails, the responsibilities, the requirement, the kind of training or education or prerequisites that might be necessary to hold that job. Think of the job description for your current job as it is right now. And then I want to ask you a question. If you could write a job description for a Christian, what would it be? What would be in the Christian's job description? What are the regular parts, the requirements, the responsibilities for being a Christian? If you could do such a thing, what would be on that job description? And then maybe here's another kind of interesting question What would be on God's job description? If you could write a job description for the Lord according to how He has revealed Himself in His Word, what would be? on God's job description. I want to think about those questions today as we look at these verses from 1 Samuel 24, and I think we kind of see the the answer to some of these questions. What is God's job as it relates to how he leads me and directs me and guides me in my life, even in the day-to-day stuff? And then what is my job? What's required of me? What's my responsibility as it relates to God's job? What am I supposed to be doing uh, according to what God is doing in my life? And I think we see that again in these verses from 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, for several weeks, we've been tracking the life of David through the book of 1 Samuel, particularly the portion of David's life that he's been spending on the run. He's, of course, a threat to King Saul, and so Saul has been trying to eliminate him. Well, in today's passage, the whole story could come to an end right here because David finally gets the upper hand on Saul. David and his men are holed up in a cave again. It's not the first time. And Saul hears about it. We just read this from 1 Samuel 24 with verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 men in front of the wild goats rocks. That sounds like the name of a restaurant or something, but it's actually a natural spring in the area. And so Saul comes to the sheepfolds. by the way, it says, where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. And now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of that very same cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Wow, truth is sometimes stranger than fiction, isn't it? David and his men are holed up in this cave. Saul takes 3,000 to go looking for him, and just so happens to go use the bathroom in the same cave where David and his men are hiding. Talk about being served up on a silver platter. It's the perfect opportunity for David to end all this business between he and Saul once and for all. Because here is Saul by himself in an awkward and vulnerable position, one thrust of the sword, and it's all over. There's no bodyguards around because Saul needs privacy. He's here in this cave alone and vulnerable. And putting an end to Saul would also end all of David's problems. And then David, because if he did this, then David and his men could go back to their families. They don't have to live like outlaws anymore. They get to go home. David will be vindicated against Saul, finally take revenge for all that Saul has put him through. So if Saul dies here, David's life will completely take a dramatic turn for the better. And oh yeah, David will become king too, if he does away with Saul right here. Sounds like a pretty easy decision to make, wouldn't you say? one thrust of the sword, and it's all over. Well, you better believe that all of those thoughts were going through David's mind. But that is not what he does. And the question is, why not? If you look again at verse 4, the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing as he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Saul rose up, left the cave, And went on his merry way. David chooses not to act. And Saul leaves the cave, none the wiser. Now why? Why did David decide not to do this thing? Considering how it would solve everything that had been going on in his life. It could all be wrapped up in a nice little tiny bow on top. And it's all done. But he doesn't do it. Why not? Because when it comes to God's will for his life, I think David knew exactly which parts of carrying out that will were up to God and which parts were up to him. In other words, David had a clear picture about what was God's job to do and what was his job to do. Let me explain. Do you remember God had promised to give David the kingdom? Remember, of course, Samuel went to David's house one day and said that God had rejected Saul and he was going to choose a new king from Jesse's sons. And so they trotted out seven of Jesse's sons in front of Samuel, but God said, it isn't any of these. Where's the eighth son? So they went and got David and God said, that's the one that I want. And so right then and there, Samuel anointed David king And now, just because though Samuel anointed David king didn't mean that he actually was king of Israel in any kind of meaningful way or practical way. He wasn't sitting on the throne. He wasn't ruling over the nation. In fact, there was someone else sitting in that throne, Saul, and he wasn't going to give it up without a fight. So suddenly at that time, David now has a Saul problem. How does he get past Saul to take the throne of Israel? Well, at that time, and I think even at this time, David doesn't have a clue. He has no idea how that's going to happen. But he does know that God has promised to make him the king of Israel. And if that's what God has promised, then God would figure out a way to make that happen. Getting David to the throne was God's job. Because God had made a promise, and it was God's job to be faithful to his promise. So if it's God's will to get David to the throne, if that's God's job, then what is David's job? David's job is to trust in God's promises and to live like a person who believes God's promises. Now, there's a subtle nuance there because there's a difference between saying that you trust God's promises and living like a person who actually trusts God's promises think of it like this. Spouses, if somebody, if your spouse uh, promised and and asked you out for a date night and said, hey, get ready for tonight. Get dressed up because we are going out to a fancy restaurant and you are going to love it. Now, how are you going to live between now and the fulfillment of that promise? You're going to live in expectation of that promise. If there's some food that's placed in front of you, you're going to say, I'm not going to eat that because I've got something better coming. I'm living in expectation of the promise. I'm not going to spoil my appetite because I am going out to a fancy restaurant tonight. You live as somebody who is expecting the fulfillment of the promise. And that's David's job, to trust God and then to live like someone who actually trusts God. See, it's not David's job to get himself to the throne of Israel. It's not David's job to take out his political rivals. It's not David's job to take his fate into his own hands. It's not his job to try to force God's hand or to speed up God's schedule. Instead, it is David's job to trust God to be faithful to his promises and then to live like the kind of person who is trusting God to keep his promises. Now, what does that look like in David's life? Well, we read it just a minute ago, back from verse 4. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So in other words, there he is, David. Kill him. Get him. Take him out. Then we can all go home. You can finally take the throne that God promised you. Now, it's interesting that David's men here in verse 4 say that God said that David could do whatever he wanted to Saul because it never says that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere in this story does it ever record that God told David that he would give Saul into his hand and that he could do whatever he wanted to him. So what in the world is happening here with these men saying, did not the Lord say to you you could do this? Well, what's probably happening is that David's men know that Saul's reign is going to end and David is going to fill the gap. I mean, the momentum has been going Uh, in David's way for quite some time now. And so rather than quoting God, what they're doing in verse four is they're just stating the obvious. God is going to make David king, and here's Saul, so this must be how it's going to happen. So go get him, David. Now the point is that there is immense pressure on David, both externally from his men and certainly internally in his own heart and mind to take matters into his own hands. But as David reflects on his options that solution of doing away with Saul right now doesn't sound like someone who is trusting God to keep his promises. That solution sounds more like someone who is trying to force the issue, to speed things up, someone trying to get things done according to their own schedule and preferences. So that's not what David does. Instead, he sneaks up and he just cuts the corner of Saul's robe off. And then he says to his men in verse 6, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. David did not take this opportunity to kill Saul because he knew that God had promised to deal with the Saul problem. And rather than take matters into his own hands, he would let God deal with it. God was the one who made Saul king, he's the Lord's anointed, and God would be the one who would remove Saul as king, and God was the one who anointed David king, and God would be the one who would bring David to the throne. And so for David, killing or not killing Saul boiled down to a trust issue. Do I trust God to keep his promise to me to make me king. And if I do, how should I act right now? Let me show you this again, because, like many of the passages we've looked at over the last several weeks, this passage from 1 Samuel 24 is connected to one of the Psalms David wrote. We read it earlier Psalm 57. You can actually turn there in your Bible if you like. Psalm 57. This is David's reflection on this instance with this opportunity to kill Saul in the cave, and it gives us a glimpse into David's reasoning for why he did not kill Saul. If you're in Psalm 57, take a look at the first three verses, and you'll see a wonderful picture of God's job description. Psalm 57 verse 1. This is God's job description. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness." That is a description of how God acts for his people. It's God's job to be merciful. It's God's job to extend his wings so that we can find refuge beneath them as the storms of destruction pass by. It's God's job to fulfill his purpose for us. It's his job to send from heaven to save us. It's his job to send out steadfast love and faithfulness. But actually, it's not entirely accurate to say that these things are God's jobs to do. Because if you think again of a job description, it usually lists requirements and expectations that are necessary But God isn't required to do any of these things. He simply does them because he loves his people and because he is kind and good. And so he has promised, this is who I will be. I will be the God who shows you mercy. I will be the God who extends my wings to give you refuge when the storms of destruction pass by. I will be the God who will send from heaven and save you. I will be the God who sends out his steadfast love and faithfulness to cover you. God has voluntarily taken on this job description. And so, as David reflects on this business with Saul, and how Saul has been after him to kill him, and David has gone from one thing to the next, he determines that it's God's job to be the refuge. It's God's job to see that his purposes are carried out in David's life. Now, what a blessing! to know that God willingly and voluntarily takes on the responsibility of being that refuge for his people in their time of need. What a blessing to know that God is carrying out his purposes in this world no matter what happens. We don't have to take it upon ourselves to find or to create refuge. We don't have to make sure that God's purposes are being carried out because he is already on top of it. That's his job, and he is doing it wonderfully. See, that's what David thinks about God's job as it relates to his life and to Saul and to David eventually becoming king one day. God is on top of it. He will see to it. And when things don't seem to be going the way I think they should, he has more than enough mercy to extend to me, and he will be the refuge that I need. So Psalm 57 tells us God's job When it comes to David and Saul. But it also tells us what David's job is. You remember I asked you what would a Christian's job description be? What would it look like? What would it say? What would be their responsibilities and the requirements? How should David live as a person who is trusting in God to keep his promises? Look at verse 7. This is David's job description right here in one verse. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. David's job as one of the people of God, is to live steadfastly with certainty in God's faithfulness to his promises. That's it. His job is to believe that God will do what he has said he will do. And as it concerns David, that means that David is to live his life in such a way that he believes that God is going to bring him to the throne. He's to live his life in such a way that shows that he believes that God will solve the Saul problem in his own time and in his own way. David is to walk by faith in God's promises. So that's what happens in this cave here, back to 1 Samuel 24. That's what's going on. David's men say, hey, now's your chance, do it. But David says, no, God has promised me the throne and he will give it to me. I will not take it. So rather than kill Saul, David sneaks up and cuts off a corner of his robe. But even that has him feeling guilty. Again, if you look at verse 5, it says that afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. (laughs) Really? David felt guilty just for cutting off a corner of Saul's robe? I think in, in David's mind, even that little thing seemed to be taking too much control for himself and perhaps demonstrated a bit of doubt in God's faithfulness to his promise to make him king. But nevertheless, David's attitude and his ultimate point is that he is going to completely put his fate into the hands of God, and he is going to live his life as someone whose fate belonged to God. And that's what we see next. Look at verse 8 of 1 Samuel 24. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed. See, my Father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But... You see what we've said about David understanding God's job and his job? That's exactly what he says in these verses. God has a job to do, Saul, and I have a job to do, and my job is to trust him not to kill you. So I am not a threat to you, Saul, because I trust in God to decide between me and you. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because I'm trusting him to see how this all plays out. So you don't have to be afraid of me, Saul. In fact, I'm as dangerous to you as a dead dog or as a flea. I'm nothing. I leave it up to God to decide what happens. See, David is describing to Saul his job. This is what my job is, Saul. I'm not after you. I'm trusting the Lord. That's what I'm doing. And then Saul actually, and uh, uncharacteristically, acknowledges this same thing, and he offers something of what you might call an apology, although it's totally fake, because he continues to hunt down David after this episode. If you look at verse 12, it says that as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, "'Is this your voice, David my son?' And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, "'You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands.'" For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. And then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So Saul even acknowledges that God's plan here is to make David king and that it's God's job to make that happen. And he actually commends David for trusting in God instead of taking matters into his own hands. And he asks that in light of this reality that when David does become king, that he would not kill all of Saul's children. And of course, David agrees to that. But the point of this passage, I think, is that when we consider God's will for our lives, we make a clear distinction between what is God's job and what is my job. God's job with David was to keep his promises. David's job was to live like someone who trusted God to keep his promises. And my friends, this is the same arrangement that God has with his people today. God has a plan and a purpose that he is carrying out for each one of us, even for you. He is carrying out that purpose even today. And as we walk in that plan and purpose, too often we try to do things that aren't our job. You see, it's God's job to deliver you. Your job is to trust him to deliver you, not to deliver yourself. It's God's job to provide you with what you need to live your life. It's your job to trust his his provision, not to kill yourself keeping up with the Joneses and trying to get ahead. Parents, it's God's job to bring your kids to salvation and change their hearts. It's your job to be faithful in pointing them to him and bringing them up in his ways. Are you concerned for the salvation of your friends and your family? It's God's job to change their hearts. It's your job to be faithful to share the gospel with them. Do you have a struggling marriage? It's God's job to heal your marriage. Your job is to be faithful to your marriage and to seek the best for your spouse until that healing occurs. God's job is to keep his promises. Your job is to live like a person who expects him to keep his promises. So what does that look like? In your life, it's going to look different for each one of us. But what does it look like in your life to live as a person who expects God to keep his promises? What does that look like in your marriage? In your finances? In your parenting? In your relationships? In your desire to share the gospel? With all those different areas, think about what is God's job? And then what is my job? Too often, I think we try to make God's job our job. And the reason we do this is that we think we know what's best, right? We want what we want when we want it. And we don't have the patience to wait for God's timing or God's provision. Do you know why we struggle with that? (laughs) I think it's because we want to be God. (laughs) Because we think that we can do a better job of running our lives than God can. And that was the temptation that David faced as he saw Saul there in that cave. If I kill him, I can take the throne for myself. No, David. God is faithful to his promise to make you king. So wait for him to do his job. And I think I mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago, but this whole time that David is on the run from Saul, 10 years, 10 years, David lived as a person expecting God to keep that promise to make him the king of Israel and to solve the Saul problem. It took a long time. For, God, for God's faithfulness to come through in David's life. And we see that in the, in the Psalms as David wrestles with this over, and we've seen it for the past several weeks, of he wrestles with this, this promise. God has made me this promise, but man, things are not going well. There's people after me who want to kill me. Lord, what is happening here with this? And every time, if you look at those Psalms, what does David do? He extols God's faithfulness. That's maybe one of the themes we've seen in these psalms is God is faithful. He will keep his promise. And if he is faithful, then what should I do? If I know that God is faithful, then what is my job? And I think that's what we need to hear. Slow down, wait, trust, and wait for God to do his job. Because he will, in his time, in his own way. And the only question we need to worry about is, well, then what should I be doing? I should be living as somebody who expects God to be faithful. Like that spouse who's expecting that special date night dinner tonight. And so they're going to make changes to what they do right now in anticipation of that promise coming true later on tonight. What am I trusting God for? And how should that reality that I am trusting him change my life right now? How can you be living as someone who expects God to keep his promises? That's the question for all of us from 1 Samuel 24. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, as it says in your word, you are a God who does keep his promises. Your faithfulness stretches to the clouds and even beyond the clouds. It fills up the whole earth. So, Lord, we praise you that you are the one and true God and faithful God, and that every word that you have said will come to pass. Everything that you have promised you will do, you will do. So Lord, we praise you for your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come into your people this morning, and that you would motivate us and invigorate us to respond to this wonderful truth of God's faithfulness, that we would be a people who will live an expectant life because we have a faithful God. And Lord, move us and direct us and guide us as we make decisions and as we go from here to there and as we live each day in that expectant hopefulness, that you will be faithful to your promises. And Lord, as we've, we've said this morning, may this be a light that shines out from us. Lord may others come to know us as this expectant people, this people who are counting on the faithfulness of their God, so that others might see and also come to know his faithfulness. Lord help us as we live each day and as we face temptations and as the storms of destructions pass by. Lord help us to find that refuge in the shadow of your your wings and give us the guidance we need to live faithfully to you. We ask it